What I want you to do is open your Bibles to Numbers uh, chapter 11. And as you turn to that, you, know, you can meet some of the most interesting people uh, when you go to airports. You just meet people from all over the place, and there are, there are some interesting folks. And I remember one time when I was flying back from Cincinnati, to, and we were stopping in St. Louis. And uh, my wife and Madeline was uh, young at that time. She was with me, and I met one of the most interesting men. Uh, he was 79 years old. He was on his way to Las Vegas. He had already put down $10,000 credit so he could gamble while he was there, and uh, which I was kind of like, whoa. Uh, and then he was a World War II veteran. He had a great knowledge of facts and particularly ge- geography. He, liked, he, was, he quizzed me on my geography, you know, like what's the longest river and all these kind of things. And so he was, a, he was an interesting character. He took a liking to Madeline and, and everything. And so... But there was one thing that that got me. He was the grouchiest, complaining, most grumbling man that I had met in a long time. I, I could I thought to myself later, this has got to be the guy who played the grouch on Sesame Street. OK. And let me tell you how this this, this started, how I kind of met this guy. It all started when I was going to board the plane and uh, the attendant was coming around and checking our tickets and. Uh, they were asking for our IDs. This was right, you know, not too long after 9-11, and they were even more diligent in, in checking. And all of a sudden, I hear this guy just complain, how many times, and then threw out an ex- expletive there, and how many times do I have to check my ID? How many times do you have to see it? And I'm just turning around like, who is this guy? What, what's going on? And, and he just, he continued. As he got older, he, as he got closer, his ID, he had to get checked again, and he just kept complaining the whole time. And I was just hoping in my mind, I hope this is the guy who's got the special mark that he gets taken aside. All right. That he gets checked extra. I just love to see that happen in him. Well, as we got on on board on the plane, we had this small connection flight. All right. I'm six foot five. You know how small connection flights are. All right. It's like this for me. Okay. That's how I entered on the plane. Well, lo and behold, this guy is getting on our plane. And as he comes and I'm already on, I hear the complaining start. Where am I going to put my coat? There's not enough room for my bag. This is too small. And he's complaining the whole way. And I had it in my heart. And I even verbally said to Elizabeth, I I just want to tell him to shut up. And Elizabeth, in all her wisdom and grace, she reached over and said, it's not wise to speak such things to your elders. All right. So so I took her cue and I, I didn't say anything. But lo and behold, guess who this man comes and sits by? Me. And so he sits down and he, he continues to complain. And uh, he continues to use expletives at times. But as I as this grumpy, grumpy, grumper person sat by me, it was sad. And I felt sorry for him because actually, as I talked to him, I found you're an interesting guy. You actually have a lot going for you. The fact that you can even put down $10,000 credit to gamble is a pretty thing to be thankful for. All right. But the bad thing is, as I talked to him, as I learned more about his life and learned about his grandchildren and all these things, what clouded his life, what clouded his person was his complaining, was his grumbling. He had a grumbling attitude. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, what about myself? I asked myself, 
How often do I approach life in that way? Complaining about things. How often do I approach God this way? And he looks at me and he feels sorry for me. Because he knows all the gracious things that he's given me and granted me in the past and present and will be in the future. And he looks at me and he feels sorry because I'm complaining. It's not God's will for our life to be complainers, but to be people who put gratitude over grumbling. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we dive into to numbers, because here's the reality. Your attitudes matter. Attitude is a way of thinking about life. And if you choose to make complaining a way of life, it will affect your way of life and your destiny and how you're looked at upon. Complaining and your attitudes are important to get a grasp on. As we come to the, the book of Numbers, we find in Numbers chapter 11, we find the people for just over 13 months ago, they were they were delivered from exodus, from from slavery in Egypt, which they had experienced for some 400 years. They brought them brought out in a miraculous way. And now through these last several months, they had been given the law of God, a law which would govern them and guide them as a new nation. And in essence, what God had been doing in these ten previous chapters and numbers is that he had been preparing them. He had been equipping them uh, as a nation to go in and take the promised land. But when we come to Numbers chapter 11, this is a pivotal turn in the book of Numbers and in the life of the Israeli people as a nation. And it starts with the issue of complaining. Look at the text with me and follow along. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of, of the Lord. Literally, the word is in the ear of the Lord. It was like this constant, uh, what, what it was like to God, it was, it was like this constant murmuring uh, uh, that he could hear. It's just kind of like, you know, you heard those things like murmur, murmur, murmur. Over and over again, I know some of you are thinking you were kids right now. And that's what it was like for God. It was like they were sitting in the back seat of the van that you were driving, and all he could hear was murmur, 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 complaint after complaint. Look what happens. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. Literally, the word for anger is nose there. You're like, why does he, what? Literally, in the Hebrew, it's nose. Why do they use notes? Well, I, I tend to think the idea is that perhaps the imagery that is mind is that when someone gets angered, their their nose flare. All right. I don't know about you. But mine do. OK. Matter of fact, it's very effective at times. Just this uh, past week, uh, Hannah, don't, uh, she's not in here, so I can say this. Hannah was uh, pulling some kind of attitude with me and I did what dad often does. I did one of these. Just like that. And she stopped immediately and actually turned around and walked out of the room. And so God is anger. Literally, his nose flared because his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. 
what does this tell us? Well, it tells us God doesn't like complaining. He's pretty serious when it comes to the issue of complaining in our lives. He doesn't like it. It angers him so much that he's willing to throw down some fireballs from, uh, uh uh-oh. That was supposed to be a bolt of lightning there. See if you guys can draw better than that. Paxton, you can't. Paxton's already raising her hand that she can. But God threw down serious judgments. He threw down fire and that he he burned literally the, the outskirts of the camp to grab their attention. And look what the people do. The people therefore cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died out. And so the name of that place was called Tabera literally means burning because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So what are, what are we to gather from this? What are we to gather from this? It's just these first three verses. And the first thing we're to gather is God despises complaining. He hates it, folks. He takes it seriously. It's like every time we, we set off to murmur, murmur, murmur over and over, or grumble, grumble, grumble. It's like it's right in his ear. All right. He can hear it. And he doesn't like it. And if it persists, he'll discipline us for it. The second thing I think we see is that grumbling is a sin. It's a sin. I know some of you are thinking right now, come on, Matt. A sin. I know the list of seven deadly sins and complaining is not on it. Okay. Are you serious? I mean, there are a lot worse things than, than complaining. In fact, this one person said, you never see, go to see counselors and says, help me, I'm addicted to grumbling, do you? There are no Grumblers Anonymous or 12-step programs to cure this condition. Although there should be. Matter of fact, we like to complain, don't we? Admit it with me. You like to complain. We like, we like to complain about our politicians. We like to complain about airport security. We like, to, we like to complain about our jobs, our homes, our spouse. I'm getting real with you now. And our children. You all do it, every one of you. And me. We complain. But you say, Matt, complaining, it, it's July 4th. Complaining is an American right. It doesn't make it, it's still, it's still wrong though. You say, well, Matt, complaining doesn't really hurt anybody. Yeah, it does. First, it hurts you. You meet a complainer, I'll guarantee almost that there's a person who's angry, who's headed towards bitterness, and that's going to have bouts with depression. Yep. It hurts God. I think it grieves God. Because in essence, when you're complaining, it says, I don't trust you, God. You're not providing the way that I think you should provide for me. And it hurts others. As we'll see here in the rest of these verses here, complaining just, it, it, it kind of, it, it sucks the life out of people. It actually sucks people into complaining as well. Remember, have you ever met a person who complains that complains about another complainer? You ever met them? I have. 
They're a complainer, but they go about complaining. And you're just like, and you do one of these looks at them, you're kind of like, and as they're complaining about someone, you're kind of going like, don't you get it? That's you. You're complaining about yourself. It hurts you and it hurts other people. My point is, complaining is serious business, folks. It's so serious that I want to suggest to you that because of the complaining that happens here in, in, with the Israelites in the wilderness, that it will lead to a place where an entire generation will be cut off from the promised land and never will be able to enter into it. That's how serious complaining can be. And how destructive and divisive that it can be. All right? Just like cell phones can be. <laughs> Grumbling is destructive. Matter of fact, one of the things I want to encourage you to do as parents is uh, one of the things that uh, inspired me. We're going to look at a definition, and I got this definition from a man named James McDonald. But one of the things I want to encourage you guys to do is that these attitudes of complaining, and next week we're going to talk, look at crit- criticalness, and the next week we're going to look at rebellious attitudes. But there's a resource I have for you out in the foyer that's been a great help to me. It's called Lord, Change My Attitude Before It's Too Late. One of the things I want to encourage you to do, it's out there for a donation of $10, is that you as parents in particular, or maybe just spouses, that you maybe get one of those books and you take it with your, with your children. And uh, depending on the age of your child, maybe you read the chapter together, then look, read through the scriptures together. Maybe if your child's younger, you read through the book and then walk them through the chapter and teach them about the attitudes we're supposed to put off and the attitudes we're supposed to put on. I've got some suggestions for you in there. But be proactive and, and disciple your children in this area because it's, it's crucial to your children's destiny and how they will walk in life and live life. But what is this grumbling? Well, McDonald suggests this definition, and, and uh, I'm still thinking about it, but I think this is a good one thus far. It says, complaining is expressing <clears throat> dissatisfaction with circumstances that are not wrong, and about which I am doing nothing to correct. Did you get that? It's in your bulletin also. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction with circumstances that are not wrong, and about which I am doing nothing to correct. First of all, this idea of expressing complaint or expressing dissatisfaction, it doesn't have to just be verbally. We think of a complainer as often a person who's just... You hear it come from them. But the reality is that a bad attitude or a, a person who complains, they can also just have it in their heart. You, yet as you, you see it, uh, you see it in them. You see it in their actions. You see it maybe, I know sometimes as a child when mom and dad would tell you to do something, you could see the complaint in just a stomp of the feet, couldn't you? Or one of these moves. You ever, parents seen these moves? I think that's genetic because I see it in my kids. Okay, but it can be verbally or non-verbally. Second thing you need to see in here is it's not complained if something is truly wrong. So, for instance, you know, my wife would come to me and say, "Matt, you need to spend more time with me." That's that's. That's not a complaint. That's that's a good observation. That's something that needs to be constructively told to me. So it's, it's OK to, to complain in, or to talk about those things. 
But it is a complaint like I did the other day where I was uh, getting books for my kids. And I just said, hey, I'm tired of reading all these uh, magic school buses books. All right. It's about time we got a new one in here because we got a new magic school bus. That's complaints. Okay. Third thing is, uh, if you're doing nothing to deal with a wrong situation, it is a complaint. That is, you could do something about the fact, like Elizabeth, if I'm not spending enough time with her, she can come to me and do something about it. I could have done something about the magic school bus. I could have gotten myself out, gone to the library and found out all the new magic school bus books. Right. Instead of complain about it. So there's a little definition of, of, of what we what complaining looks like. Now, when we look at this text, I think us as parents, we need to take a, a clue from something that Moses did. Moses was a prophet. And part of what a prophet's call was to do was a prophet was to intercede on behalf of the people. And that's what he did there, didn't he? He interceded. He went to them uh, before God for them. And he interceded for them. And God took away the fire. And I want to suggest as leaders in your homes, parents, that we are called to intercede in our children's lives, particularly in this area of attitudes and specifically in the area of complaining. Because if you don't do it, who else will? If you don't address it, who's going to intercede to keep them from setting a pattern of life? I want to suggest to you real quickly four things that you can do. First thing is you can pray diligently. Pray diligently. Pray that they will have an attitude of gratitude in their life. Be diligent about that. Pray about their attitudes. Second, you need to teach it repeatedly. That's why I'm making a source available for you to teach about attitudes and specifically here complaining. My mom used to have little phrases. Every time uh, the phone would ring, I can remember as a kid, she would always go, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Every time she would just do that all over and over. And I sometimes I would look at her like, how many times do I have to hear that? But the reality is what she ingrained in me re- repeatedly is that I was to have an attitude of respect towards people. She also used to have this saying all the time she'd be walking around. All of a sudden she'd be like, attitude check. You always, you always hated that. The attitude check. Or watch your attitude, that kind of thing. I remember one time she, she so was serious about uh, teaching repeatedly, and this actually kind of goes into my next point here. We need to correct appropriately is the third thing. I remember one time, I, actually I had a girlfriend over. Don't tell Elizabeth this, but this is back in my teenage years. Uh, I had a girlfriend over, and I was pulling a terrible attitude with mom. I remember mom got that. She got this going on. And she said this right here out to the patio right here in front of my girlfriend and everything. Okay, so I'm not sure how appropriate it was, but uh, she did it. She marched me back on that patio and she did a little attitude adjustment. Okay, she didn't spank me or anything like that, but she just because I was a teenager and I was bigger than her and I would just laugh. But uh, she adjusted my attitude. And I appreciate that because that makes me the man that I am today, that my mom would take serious enough the attitude of complaints and any other attitudes that she would address it and deal with it. It's important. And last, we need to model it in real life. We need to live it out. 
Because you know, oftentimes where people learn complaining from? Me and you. So model it in real life. Matter of fact, some of you are going to have to come away from this message today and you're going to have to repent of your complaining and make some real adjustments and attitude adjustments in your life. Now, let's look at some of the ills and devastation of complaining. Let me just kind of go through this quickly. Numbers 11.4 says the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. Really, they craved a craving. They had a they had a strong craving. You might ask, well, who is this rabble? Well, Exodus seems to tell us that this rabble were those groups of people that were not a part of the Hebrews. But when they saw God delivering them, they saw this is a good thing. And they went with them. And so this rabble, or as some people even say, this riffraff, we had began to have greedy desires. And look at this. And also the sons of Israel wept again. I saw that. I was like, seriously, you're crying. But they did. And they said, who will give us meat to eat? They started to complain. See, in the first three verses, we're not really too specific. We knew just knew it was the misfortunes of travel. But here it gets real specific. They start complaining about the menu. They start complaining about the the food that, that they ate. What I want you to see, first of all, from this is that complaining is contagious. Complaining is a contagious disease because it was it came from the rabble. Their greedy desires began to influence the Israelites. And so my, my point from this is I'm going to put a little rabble down here. That these people influence the Israelites. It's contagious. What I'm saying is you got to be careful of who's influencing you. Who are the people that are influencing your life? Who are the people that you are hanging, hanging around with? I'm not saying we avoid people altogether, but we have to be careful of who's influencing us and the attitudes that they bring. Because it'll just leap on you, just especially complaining. Now, verse 5 We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. So now they're getting more specific about their complaint. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except the manna. There's nothing else to look at except this manna. What is manna? Literally bread from heaven. Basically, what they're complaining is this manna is boring, it's bland, it's unappealing. There are three things that complaining does to us. Let me, let me give these to you and write these down. The first of all is complaint causes selective memory. Okay? Complaint causes selective memory. Because here they are, they're saying how they're going back to, to Egypt... They're saying this is wonderful food. We had a gourmet there. This was the golden day of our lives. How wonderful this food was, but they they forgot something very important here. And I'm going to try to draw it here. But they forgot about slavery. Now, see if you guys can make handcuffs better than I can. Now, 
Does that look like handcuffs? It doesn't, Paxton, does it? Kind of. Hey, hey. Thanks, Corbin. Thanks. But complaining causes selective memory. They totally forgot where they had come from. They totally forgot that for years they were forced to make brick after brick. But all the melons, the cucumbers, the fish. Now look what the text says. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bedellum. Lord, this is this points that the man actually wasn't attractive. This this bedellum here is actually something that was found outside the Garden of Eden. If you go to Genesis chapter two, the people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. I mean, there's a lot of things you could do with it. And its taste was as a taste of cakes baked with oil. First thing came to my mind is that cookie cake stuff that you get at that three spoons thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I got I shouldn't have ate it, but I did. All right. I did a diabetic sin and I tried some of it and uh, it was good. It, it really tastes like cake. In essence, here they are. They're complaining about but in reality. Even in Exodus, it tells us that the manna was like wafers of, of honey. So not only does it cause us to have selective memory, but it distorts our present perspective. I remember uh, just actually just a few weeks ago is why I remember it is because I remember as uh, we were coming back, as we were reflecting on uh, our vacation time, there was one thing that had happened that kind of persisted throughout our, 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 our vacation. And uh, I started kind of to complain about it. And I kind of started, oh, it would have been so much better if this wasn't going on and that one's going on. And then all of a sudden it was like God just kind of just did one of these to the back of my head. You need those sometimes, okay? And I'm just going to share some blessings with you on this vacation that I had that are from God. First of all, I was gifted plane tickets to fly to South Carolina. When I got to South Carolina, I paid nothing to stay in the house that I stayed in. And on my way back, I had to drive back because someone gave me a car for free. And so here I am, I'm back in Waco, I'm reflecting on something, I'm complaining, and all of a sudden God convicts me deeply about it. And what are you doing, Matt? See, complaining distorts our perspective about the present and where we're at. We think we have it so bad, but the reality is we have it so good. Because God is so gracious to us. And last complaint clouds our future direction. Get this. Here they are. They're complaining as they're going here in numbers. But the reality is that their destiny wasn't here in the desert forever. Where were they going? They're going to the promised land. And so often our complaining forgets about that. The reality is that this is not our home here. It's supposed to be a wilderness. Because this isn't our final destination. That we too have a promised land. Where we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever. But complaining distorts our vision of the future. Don't let it do that. Now the text goes on. And see, one of the reasons that we do this. 
One of the reasons is, is that ultimately that complaint is rooted in unbelief. Do you know that? That ultimately complaint is rooted in unbelief because complaint causes us to be consumed with self. And when we are consumed with self, we're not looking to God with hearts of faith, are we? Complaint turns us inward and it turns us away from looking to God. That's how come the Israelites vision for the future was distorted. Now, look at this. Verse 10. Now, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Get that. He's hearing them weep throughout their families, grown men and women weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway. You can feel this, can't you? The best, I'll tell you the best way to feel this is go for a 12-hour drive across the country with children in the back. How much longer? How much longer? That, that's how you feel that. Only it's 100 times more for, for God and for Moses here. And get this. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was dis- displeased. Now, he should be displeased. They're complaining. So what does he do in verse 11? Look at verse 11 or yeah, verse 11 with me. So Moses prayed to the Lord. Does it say that? Look at your text. I'm making you look at your text. All right. Does it say that? He doesn't. He did that in the first three verses, but he doesn't do it here. Look what he does instead. It says, uh, So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servants and why have you not found favor uh, in your sight that you have laid this burden of all this people on me? What's he doing? He's complaining. Complaining is contagious. I'm going to put a little beard here. That's Moses. Moses joins into the complaining. See, it turns ourselves inward. I want you to look through these next 12 or three verses with me. Look how often a personal pronoun comes up. Was it I who conceived of all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me. Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it's too burdensome for me. So you are going to deal with us, uh, deal thus with me. Please kill me at once. What happened to Moses? He got the disease. He was infected with complaints. And I want to pick on the brother. I do. But then I have to go look back at myself. Guess what? Not you guys in particular, but other places I've been in church. I'm being facetious here. Uh, you could cause me to complain. Do you know that? That when I lose perspective of where God has put me and what I'm doing and called to do and the vision for the future, I can become like Moses. And I can complain. contagious. At least 20 times in the Hebrew original, Moses refers to himself. And this complaint is rooted in lack of faith and it's also rooted in self-centeredness. 
That's what it is. That's why it's so important that we attack it. And that we address it in our own lives and with our children. You actually see this faith later. His faith has diminished where where God eventually says, hey, I'm going to give these people meat. And then Paul or I mean, uh, Moses turns around and he says, well, how can you do that? How can you provide meat for all these people? And I, and I want to go, Moses, he just took you out of the promised land. He's he's providing he's he's throwing down food from heaven. The actual first angel food cake is coming down from heaven. And you, you can't. I know that's a bad joke, but I couldn't. I had to do it. And you're saying he can't provide meat to complain to centered in unbelief. It's rooted in unbelief. And look what it does. Look how deadly this is. Verse 18 says, say to the people, consecrate yourselves for today and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. Get this. You shall eat not one day nor two days nor five days nor ten days nor twenty days, but a whole month. Of this meat until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. So we got to be careful what we complain about, don't we? Because sometimes God says, all right, you don't trust me. You don't trust my goodness. Let me tell you, let me just show you how good I was being to you. I'm going to give you what you want. And guess what it's going to do? You're going to loathe it. It's going to come. That's gross. Comes out. That had to be. That's hyperbole. All right. Coming out of your nostrils, all right? I'm not going to draw that, by the way, either, okay? <laughs> Complaint is destructive. As you jump down to verses 31, here's when God carries this out. Now there that went forth a wind from the Lord and a brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. All right. So all around the camp, they're having all this. This God uh, now quail comes still comes through that way. But God did a specific work where he blew this quail in and all around the camps, a day's journey. They could go and just get all the, the, the quail that they wanted. By the way, you know where the manna came? Just opened up their door and walked out. There it was. Saved them a day's journey, didn't it? The text goes on. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. That is, 38 bushels was the, was the, the lowest. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. And while the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled. Against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called uh, Kibberoth Hatav, which literally means grave of cravings. Grave of cravings. And people died there. The point I think that God wants us to know is that. Complaint can cause death. That's not too bad, is it, Paxton? It 
causes destruction. It took people's lives here. We need to take complaining seriously. It's a serious issue. I was reading a story to my girls called The Fisherman and His Wife. The fisherman that met this fish, and this fish would give him anything that he asked for. So he would take these things back to his wife. And when so the first time he took back all this lobster, and then she started complaining because she didn't have a, a, a pot big enough for all these lobsters. So she said, why don't you go back and ask this special fish in the sea again? So she just went back and he granted it. Well, she gets back with a pot and then obviously the kitchen's not big enough. So she wants a bigger house. So he goes and asks the fish and, and it goes back and forth. Before you know it, they're living in this great mansion and she's dancing with the king. But the reality through the whole process, what happens is uh, the man and his wife become further and further and further apart. Where this man, when he's back out on the, on the ocean, he despises all that has been granted to him. Until finally it comes to a point where there's one thing the fish says he can't give. That is that she couldn't become queen. And he went back and he told his wife this and she began to realize what had happened. That it wasn't good that they got all that they, she had complained about. And as I looked at that, as I thought about that story, as I read that to my kids... My complaining in this passage is in my mind. And I thought, oh, God, how good you are to me so many times when you don't give in to my complaints. Because in reality, I think many times if I were to get what I want, that all that that would do, it would begin to sever and create separation between me and my God. And he knows what, that I, what I need most with him is not my complaints filled. But I need him. And I need relationship with him. Isn't that true? Isn't that true for you and I? So what's the answer? What's the answer to this grumbling and this complaining? Well, the answer is this. The answer is, is gratitude. And I'm going to try to do something. Uh, oh, no, not again. Those are supposed to be hands praying. Paxton, can you do better than that? Yes, she's shaking her head. They are. The answer to grumbling in our lives is taking off the grumble and the complaints in our lives. Even though I'm not saying they're not real sometimes. I'm not saying they're not real wilderness issues in their life. Because there are. As long as you live in this world, there will be wilderness experiences. But the answer is not to grumble and to complain about them, but it's to take the attitude of grumbling and complaint to put it off and instead in its place, put on gratitude. And this gratitude is rooted in this. And let me quote to you. Actually, let me, let me say gratitude is founded, first of all, or is rooted in trust in God's goodness. Gratitude starts when you look back to God and you reflect on how good he has been to you. Moses himself, if he would have gone back to his words in chapter 10, verse 29, it says this. 
Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Rule, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out to the place which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we'll do good to you. For the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. What if Moses just would have stopped for a moment and reflected on what he just said? What he just said, that the Lord has promised good to us. What if Moses had just stopped and reflected on all the good that God had already done to get him to this point? So instead of unbelief, which root, which complaint is rooted in, help us put on, let us put on faith and trust in the goodness of God. The second thing is we, we, we saw that complaint causes us to turn inward and become self-centered. And so gratitude is empowered, instead of manifested on there, it's empowered through spirit dependence. So it's rooted in faith. And then we turn to actually put on gratitude. Uh, we, we have to be empowered by spirit dependence. The reality is it's God's will, Scripture tells us, to give thanks. But I know and you know, just it's a hard thing to do all the time, isn't it? Guess what? God doesn't expect us to do it in our own strength. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, 18, in verse 18, he says, be filled with the spirit. And then just a, ver- a couple of verses later, he says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what I believe is what this indicates is that giving thanks at all things comes out of spirit filled living. It comes out of dependence of getting up each day and saying, God, there are plenty of things I could complain about today. But, Lord, you empower me to give thanks. You empower me, actually, to look for the things in my life throughout the day to give thanks for. I had someone challenge me to do that once. To look for the things to give thanks for in your life, even particularly in the midst of of bad days. This man who challenged me this told me the story of how he had started off a day when someone had busted out the back of his window. And he was so frustrated because it threw off his whole day. But he determined in his mind that that day, you know what? He says, I'm going to find and I'm going to give thanks in this day. So his, his whole day was detoured and he ended up having to go to mechanic. And the mechanic, it was difficult getting everything done. But through the process, he had an opportunity to share the gospel with Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ with someone who needed it dearly. And he noticed and he, he, he began to give thanks that, God, I need to give thanks for that. That's how you use this situation in my life. The third thing, though, is that complaint is evidenced in greed for something else. While gratitude is evidenced in contentment in Christ. A key passage for this is Philippians chapter four, verse 10. Paul is writing from prison. He writes, he says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from want, not, or not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's coming to that place of contentment in your life because you're content in what Christ gives you. Whether it's little or whether it's a lot. You're content because you have Christ 
who will strengthen you. We must take grumbling and replace it with gratitude. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, wrote and reflected on his visit to a church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, nearly just a, just a year after the devastating earthquake. Uh, the church that he went to visit was made out of uh, it was uh, different tarps and duct tape. It was just a tent. And it was in the midst of the sprawling camp of, of thousands of people who were, who were still homeless. And here's what he describes of what he saw. In the front row, he saw six uh, amputees ranging from ages 60 or six to 60. And as they were in that front row, they were they were smiling. They were clapping their hands. They sang songs and lifted their prayers to God. He said their worship was full of hope and it was full of thanksgiving to God. But he said no one was singing louder or praying more fervently than Demosi Lufine, a 32-year-old unemployed single mother of two. During the earthquake, a collapsed building had crushed her right arm and left leg. After four days, both limbs had to be amputated. She was leading the choir, leading prayers, standing on her, on her prothesis, lifting her one hand high in praise to God. And he writes, following the service, I, I met Demosi's two daughters, ages eight and ten. The three of them now lived in a tent, five feet tall, perhaps eight feet wide. Despite losing her job, her home, and her two limbs, she is deeply grateful because God spared her life on January 12th. She quotes, he, she quotes her, or he quotes her, he brought me back to live, or back to life like Lazarus, giving me the gift of life. Damasi says she believes she survived the devastating quake of, for two reasons, to raise her girls and to serve her Lord for a few more years. And then I look at my life. And the weak little things that I complain about. And yes, there are wilderness things and there's difficulties. But the answer in the midst of those difficulties is not to complain. But it's the attitude of this woman. To give thanks. Because when we do that, God gets glorified and God works. Amen. God, we come and we thank you and we praise you for the awesome God that you are. Lord, uh, I thank you for passages such as this. Passages which you tell us in 1 Corinthians 10 that there are to be examples for us and we're to learn from them. Lord, I pray that you help us as a people to learn and to grow through your truth that is found here. Lord, help us not be a people who grumble and who complain. And Lord, that is not meant to say that we don't acknowledge our difficulties. The reality is, though, Lord, you want us to take those difficulties and you want us to bring them in faith to you. And you want to empower us to go out in thankfulness and gratitude for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I pray 
for the parents here that you will strengthen and empower them as they teach their children about complaining and about gratitude, which is the answer. That you will empower them and strengthen them as they work with their children and their attitudes. And help us as adults to model, to seek to model Christ-like attitudes, Lord. So that through it we might just bring you glory and we might honor you as a people. Lord, we give you praise and we give you thanks. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said,